0: Welcome to the month end CPG community chat. The month end will provide emerging CPG brands, real life knowledge into the accounting, finance and operational worlds. Our guests will be key stakeholders from those same brands, as well as other key contributors to the industry. Welcome to episode 34 of the month end podcast. Today we have Sean Lee from Sweetie Ice Cream. How are you doing today, Sean?
1: Hey, Brad. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. Sean's a co-CEO of Sweetie and uh, uh, works in a family business, and I'm excited to learn more. So let's get started. First off, Sweetie Ice Cream. How long have you been in the business? What do you sell? Where do you sell? Just give us a little elevator pitch from the business.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, Sweetie, in its first iteration, is actually was started back in 1978. Um, it was started by my mom, even before he met up my dad, as just like an Asian scoop shop in Monterey Park, which is a very uh, Asian neighborhood of Los Angeles. Um, At that time, she couldn't really find Asian flavored novelties or ice cream in that area of Los Angeles. Um, So she decided to open up that store herself. Um, In that process, she even, she was struggling to get like the ice creams to her store. So she decided to start actually doing the manufacturing side of things as well. And that's how she got into, um, you know, the sweetie as a branded CBG type item, um, and yeah, so it's been around for a while. It, it's kind of mostly just been on Asian supermarkets. Uh, we were really known at the time for doing uh, like red bean popsicles, durian, taro, so very very traditional um, Asian popsicle novelties. Um, me and my sister we decided to get involved just a couple years back um right before the pandemic um at that time the company was still very small it was essentially just being run by my uncle and my aunt at the time um and they kind of wanted to retire so we were at this inflection point deciding like hey what are we going to do with this business do we just kind of wind it down and shut it down when they retire or do we um Want to put some money and time into it, reinvest into it, and then relaunch it. Um, so the decision was made to kind of kind of get involved in this business. So yeah, me and my sister, we started doing a rebrand. Uh, at the time we had done popsicles and mochi ice cream. Um, we saw a lot of potential in the ice cream side or the mochi ice cream side of the business. so we decided to just focus on that side. and um, yeah, we launched uh, right as the pandemic started um, and it's kind of just been a wild ride ever since.
0: I bet, I bet that's a very cool story. So you said since 1978, that's crazy. Yeah. So when you guys took it over um, or you decided to take it over, like what was, what was that process like? Did you look at every aspect of operations and say, all right, we're starting a new company, taking these assets, taking the IP, relationships with you know, uh, suppliers, manufacturers? Like, how did that whole process go? um or, or how did you look at that and, and execute that
1: i think for us it was um i mean we wanted to kind of preserve a lot of the things that made sweetie what it was um so you know still a large piece of our business is still kind of that original core uh, asian supermarket um customer um so that kind of informed some of the decisions that we were making in terms of we were doing a further r and of our product i think that was the two first things we really did um, was to revamp the branding, and then also kind of look at how we can tweak some of the uh, flavors and R&D of the product like itself. Um, we got rid of some flavors at the time. We got rid of the popsicles, but you know it was important for us to kind of remain true to some of our roots. So you know we still do like a red bean a mochi ice cream. Um, you know we've continued to add you know other Asian flavors. We have a Vietnamese coffee. Um, we do an ube as well. And along with that, um, it was also just, you know, at that time, back in the day, like my parents would cook red beans. We started basically in our kitchen, they would cook red beans and then they would, you know, use that the red beans in the, um, popsicles that we make. So for us, we still do a lot of things internally. Um, you know, we get, you know, raw ube puree, frozen puree, and we cook that and we, Uh, use that in our ube ice cream, um, rather than, you know, just focusing on um, flavoring or coloring. Um, We like to use the original ingredients as much as possible. Um, Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Cool. And so then where exactly are you guys selling all these products now?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we launched and um, our first large retailer actually ended up being Walmart, uh, which was not the plan. Um, so, I mean, that's one of our biggest retailers is Walmart. We're also, you can find us at uh, Albertsons and Safeway in Southern California, uh, Northern California and Hawaii. Um, and we're actually going to be launching in Costco, Los Angeles, uh, later, uh, this fall. Um, so yeah, please, if you guys uh, go, go to Costco, if you live in the area, uh, and support our product, really appreciate it um and then of course a lot of the asian supermarkets across uh all of the united states
0: gotcha so you are national on uh with with asian supermarkets but uh gotcha and then i uh, clearly like uh, selling ice cream you really it's really hard to dive into the direct consumer aspect right
1: a direct to consumer yeah oh yeah we would <laughs> we i'm always jealous when i see other brands like being able to do like little giveaways and direct to consumer um yeah it, it's Yeah, it's such a cool way to, you know, have access to your customers um, in such a direct way and get that feedback. Uh, Sadly, it's it's very tricky to do with ice cream specifically. Um, Just the supply chain makes it extremely expensive. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're using a 3PL, it just it's it's quite expensive. Your product is from you know selling at the grocery at around anywhere from, you know, $4.99 to $6.99, and then it's selling at, you know, $12.99 in a direct-to-consumer environment. There's also just a lot of, there's a lot of waste uh, involved in that process, because you have to add all this extra packaging from yeah. the insulating materials, you have to get dry eyes, um, mm-hmm. and if there's any shipping delays, you know, your, your product is just, it's yeah. lost, which is really yeah. Awful.
0: Yeah, definitely a disadvantage for the uh, the the frozen um, products on the uh, on the direct consumer um, space. So, then from um, on the inventory side of things, uh, like what is your supply chain like, and 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 internally operationally, how do you manage that from supply chain, you know, raw materials, products, three PLs, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a pretty small facility. We manufacture everything out of. Um, basically our original location in Monterey Park. Um, So yeah, inventory management is is really crucial for us. Um, It's also just very expensive being in a frozen category as well. So um, prior to bringing on Walmart, everything was kind of inventoried at our own facility. Um, and we've just been finding creative ways to expand our frozen storage. yeah, we basically, we've been using kind of these um, frozen shipping containers and that's how we've been able to add additional frozen storage uh, when from a real estate standpoint, you know, we're limited and that, that gave us kind of a, a way to kind of just flex that and slowly add as we went along and, and needed more frozen space. But, you know, once we brought on Walmart, it's a whole other game, um, yeah. we brought on a, a 3PL. So basically they kind of handle when you work with Walmart, they, they have something called, um, like a pooled system. So you ship to a 3PL, they will pool your inventory with other Walmart customers, and then they'll kind of just distribute out to all the different DCs. Um, so we almost kind of treat that almost like its own little, its own kind of supply chain.
0: Yep. So then, uh, on the, you know, manufacturing side, like how many, uh, you know, how do you manage your, your team, you know, in terms of making the product, do you have an inventory system specific like KPIs you look at, or just kind of how do you guys view that internally?
1: Yeah. I mean, for the longest time we, we just did everything kind of in a Google sheet. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we had our, we built out our sales forecast from our sales forecast, you know, we know our bill of materials, we'd be able to forecast now. Um what the you know weekly, monthly, annual usage was. Uh, keep track of kind of what you know lead times are. I would come up with basically you know what was the safety stock that we handed wanted. What was the reorder quantity and kind of basically made a, a relatively simple system to basically say, but once I hit this point, then my team would know to go out and reorder this. Um, uh, only recently we we started to transition over to uh actual inventory uh tracking software um
0: gotcha how's that going is that is that adding more value or is it more of a headache versus just a simple uh
1: machine? yeah it's doing that type of transition is always um a process it, it takes a while to you know do that implementation um and get that see that return um just because it's just the level of accuracy that you need um, from like each of your workers, um, just cause you have to, you really have to be perfect on your lot traceability on, you know, your usages. it's, it's no more, you can't just kind of swag it anymore. And then just like do an inventory count and just like fix things then. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, it's, yeah, we only really did this a couple months ago. So it's still kind of working on all those kinks, but, um, you know, eventually you're gonna see benefits from just having that ease of access to that data. Um, whereas a lot of the stuff was, you know, very manual and and you just didn't have that same traceability uh, that you have with something like that. But, you know, yeah. with those systems, it's garbage in, garbage out.
0: Yep, yeah, that's the norm. We you know, when we talk to like our brands and clients we work with, it's like there comes a point where a Google Sheet and Excel document or however you manage it, it's more time efficient more cost efficient, it gets you to where you need to go. There is a phase of your business that's like, all right, we need to become more precise, more real time information. And then that's when you have to jump to something like what you're talking about. And it's, yeah. it's painful, but once it becomes part of the company operating system and, and workflow, then it's pretty seamless at that point, but it can be definitely a pain, but it, there there's advantages with it, but it's definitely more costly and more, more time intensive um, to do so. So um, well, good. And then in terms of uh, you know, you just, your overall, manufacturing supply chain, like what are some of the mistakes that have happened? You know, you've already mentioned like, you know, having a frozen product and, you know, waste on packaging with direct consumer or if a delayed shipment, um, you know, the, the, the product can be wasted. But is there any like big mistakes you guys made from just more of a supply chain operational standpoint that impacted your business that
1: you learned from? I think for us, because we we made such a big leap in terms of the scale um, just taking on such a large uh, retailer like Walmart. And even then, like we kind of, we wanted to slow play it a little bit. We are like, hey, you know, we only want to bite as, we don't want to bite off too much. Um, but even then, like the, the volume step up was just, it was so huge. Um, so just like staying ahead of those initial orders when they, when they do that initial fill, like it, it was definitely um, intense, like, how much we had to ramp up to keep up. And even though we kind of forecasted how much we needed, it just, yeah, the the scale of it was just a whole nother level. Um once you kind of get past that, then you have, you know, prior year data to be able to kind of forecast better. You've you've gone through, it, you've you've ramped up everything, but, you know, being on both the manufacturing side and and kind of the CPG side, it, it definitely was um yeah, a step up in terms of the complexity, uh, just all that adding all that scale.
0: And your background is like finance and operations, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I've kind of a, a relatively varied background. You know, I've done finance and strategy at uh, asset management at uh, a retail environment. Um, yeah, I went back to get my MBA, and uh, in, in, at UCLA. And that's when I started getting involved more in kind of the the food business. My family has other food manufacturing companies. um, So that's where I started to get uh, more involved on this side of, of the industry.
0: So then you also, on you know, uh, operationally with the inventory side of things, you oversee that, but also you're handling kind of the forecasting, the modeling, the, the accounting and all that aspect, right? Yep. Yep. So then mm-hmm. from like a, a financial standpoint, in terms of like a model forecast budget, like what is your uh, plan or strategy in terms of how you do that? Do you keep it updated monthly? Do you review it you know, looking backwards each month? You, like, you know, do you like, what is your, you know, your just overall workflow with, with your forecasting model?
1: It's. I would say it's like we kind of review the forecasts on a uh, quarterly basis. Um, I mean, for us, it, it really depends on kind of how our cash flow situation is. You know, the tighter it gets, the more we're going to have to kind of look at that maybe monthly, or even weekly. Um, thankfully, you know, we've been very, very efficiency focused to make sure, you know, as a manufacturing facility, you know, we are trying to, you know, have cash flow, pos- positive cash flow. And that gives us you a little bit more leeway to kind of, um, yeah, work within your financials.
0: Yep. Are you then, um, with the way the economy has changed or shifted the last kind of nine to 12 months with interest rates and with fundraising kind of slowing down a little bit, has there been any changes in terms of how you've changed your business from more to, you know, expense management efficiencies, cash flow, or was that always how you kind of looked at your business even beforehand?
1: I think you know the, the things that some of the challenges that we've been facing um, recently is more just kind of the inflationary impacts that we've seen on our margins um, I think that's where you know we were pretty comfortable before, but now um it, it's definitely constrained us a little bit more and just um, keeping ahead of kind of what competition is doing as well um you know, I, I would say we've been a little bit late to the game in terms of price adjustments. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen that some other competitors do essentially, you know, shrinkflation. Um, so I think that's where it's definitely put some pressure on us to kind mm-hmm. of um, stay ahead of things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of learning and trying to move a little bit quicker on those.
0: How do your like retail partners, uh, how, uh, how do they take like price adjustments or like how, what is that process like?
1: Each year has been different, right? I think, you know, uh, you know, last year, you know, when everybody was raising prices, um, you know, they were basically like, yeah, we're getting it from everybody else, you know, just put it in. Um, You know, you started to get a little bit more pushback. Situation has kind of slowed down a bit. Um, So it just, it, I see it just kind of changing from year to year at the end of the day, like, you know, we have to make enough money to be able to cover our operating margin. So it it is what it is. and We have to be able to kind of just push that through.
0: Definitely. On the, uh, on the accounting side of things, you know, uh, managing cash week over week, uh, reviewing financials each month. is, Is that your cadence? Are you the one that handles that? Or do you have like another team member that helps support that process?
1: I mean, thankfully, like, because we have other food manufacturing businesses, you know, we were able to leverage kind of some of that back of house infrastructure. Um, So they're able to kind of produce financials for me and then I review them on a monthly basis. And then I make sure to kind of review that with the other departments uh, to get feedback because, you know, I don't have full visibility on, you know, what are all the marketing promotional activities that we're doing? So, you know, if something's tracking high, you know, I want to get that input from, you know, Tiffany, who's our CMO.
0: What are the first three like numbers or line items you look at in the uh, monthly financials when they get sent to you? Uh,
1: I mean, for me, it's, it's always kind of uh, gross margin is kind of the big one that we're always looking at. Um, mm-hmm. And just to go a little bit even deeper, uh, like, again, because we're doing the manufacturing ourselves, like, um, just on a daily basis, even or weekly, like I'm reviewing kind of what our production yields are for each of our production runs. And I'm also tracking, you know, what is our our labor cost um, for each case that we're producing, or you can also look at labor hours uh, for each cost just to make sure that, you know, my production staff is running or continue to run things efficiently. You know, you know, being in Los Angeles, we know that, you know, your, your wages are going to be increasing every single year, but, you know, trying to maintain that, that efficiency, at least on a labor hour basis is important.
0: Gotcha. Has there, um, from a manufacturing standpoint, clearly, you know, you said you moved to more of a 3PL model afterwards on, um, uh, on the Walmart side, but is there clearly you have a family history with the, with the manufacturing facility, things like that. At at any point, have you thought, man, it would have been easier to use a co-man or like differently in terms of that versus managing, you know, that, that entire process, or are you happy in terms of where you're at? I'm sure it's kind of a push pull at times.
1: Yeah, it's it's a push pull. I mean, it's nice to to be able to have control over, you know, everything, you know, your quality, um, the R and D like every single input and just have that visibility into everything and that control. on the flip side, like, just from, you know, a future expansion type situation, like the capital requirements um, that are gonna be necessary to, you know, grow from uh, a $20 million revenue business to a um, 50 to 100, um, you have kind of different calculations there because it's not like we can just go to a different command and get kind of the um, scale from, you know, the volume it's you know we need to figure out okay how do we expand our manufacturing capacity in the mochi ice cream space it's it's not really there's not a bunch of commands out there doing this it's it's a relatively specialized product Mm -hmm. um and we like doing it because i think that's what really sets us apart is um you know our ice cream and our dough that we make it's different from our competitors and it's because we we manufacture ourselves but yeah, just the capital investment required to expand is, is just such a different calculation than if you were kind of a command based um, yeah. company.
0: Definitely benefits on, on both sides of the spectrum and and you know risk and costs on, on both sides as well. Um, in terms of just overall, I'm just like on your website, you guys have what, eight flavors? Is that right? Yep. Any big plans to expand in the short term with with new flavors?
1: Yeah, we're always looking at you know flavor innovations i think um yeah it's interesting you know i have a d- very different kind of outlook than you know sales and marketing like yeah. sales and marketing they always love to do crazy flavors and i'm always like ooh, like <laughs> like are we gonna get stuck with inventory like and then what happens with that inventory you know when you do a seasonal um but i think that's just part of the 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 cost of doing business sometimes um because you know certain retailers they they want to have you know those seasonal items even if you know from a margin standpoint you're going to struggle to make that back um there's a component of just a marketing um but at the same time it's like it's fun from an operational standpoint from r&d new flavors like we're working on a bunch of new flavors right now and it's it's like what's well, more fun than like you know trying different ice creams um yep. so that's the part that i really enjoy
0: yeah yeah every time as as a uh... Background of an accountant or on the finance side of things. Every time you look at inventory, like you just see dollar signs. So it's always funny. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we're wrapping up or winding down this podcast for all the, uh, uh, you know, listeners out there. We always end end our podcast with two questions, one do and one don't. So what is, uh, from your perspective, one do to fellow CPG, you know, emerging brand uh, founders out there?
1: Yeah, I would say, like, uh, be mindful of kind of your retail go-to-market strategy um, and just kind of understand the trade-offs that are going to come with that. Um, I think, you know, we were in this unique situation where we were presented this opportunity. Um, You know, Walmart has been an incredible partner with us. We got through their open call program and got, you know, just national distribution and just like we weren't going to turn that down. Um, But... You know, at the same time, like that wasn't our initial plan. Like we had no idea that that was the direction that we were going to go. Um, and I just, you know, it, it's worked for us. But at the same time, like you have to be aware that, you know, there's trade-offs to any go-to market strategy, um, you know, especially in terms of whether you're doing, you know, natural or club or conventional. Um, yeah. If you go one direction, it, it can potentially close doors to another, another uh, channel.
0: Definitely, definitely. And then on the other uh, side of that, like what is one don't?
1: I think to go along with that is like, don't be afraid to pivot um, and, and just kind of re- continue to reevaluate what your your strategy is going to be depending on kind of how you've pivoted um, to make sure that, you know, the rest of the company and the strategy is aligning. So you don't have like a mismatch of like, let's say where you're selling versus kind of your your marketing or your uh, supporting infrastructure, whether it be brokers or distributors, like um, just make sure you're being nimble in terms of reevaluating and then like re- um, restructuring kind of your supporting strategies.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, couldn't agree. Yeah. Any more on that? Well, Sean, I really enjoyed the chat um, before I let, let you go, like where can uh, people find uh, sweet ice cream with your social, your, your URL, what, what do you got going on just from a promotion standpoint?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, you follow us on Instagram, 3D Ice Cream Co. Um, or on TikTok. Uh, in terms of our products, you know, find us at Walmart, Albertson Safeway in Southern California, Northern California. You can find us in Asian supermarkets. And then, yeah, if, again, if you're in LA, please uh, swing by Costco and uh, pick up our, our uh, new combo back there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, Sean, I really enjoyed the chat. Um, hope, uh, hope the listeners do not, uh, hope the listeners did as well out there. Um, we're signing off here on episode 34 of the month End podcast, Sean Lee. Um, thanks again, Sean. Take care. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me.